Welcome to Optimal Health Uncovered. We are a group of health and wellness professionals in the New York metropolitan area where our mission is to empower you to live better. From specific injuries to general fitness trends, diets to sleep habits, our group of specialists are dedicated to bringing you the latest evidence-based research on the topics that matter most. Welcome to this session of Optimal Health Uncovered. Welcome to Optimal Health Uncovered. I'm Todd. And I'm Mike. And today's podcast is all about how alcohol relates to your overall health and well-being. But before we begin, I want to pause and take a moment to thank all of our listeners and ask them to send us uh, an email. Reach out to us at podcast at performance-pt. Tell us what you'd like to hear from us in the future. Uh, we're constantly looking for new topics, trending topics, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, podcast at performance-pt.com. So today's topic, Mike, uh, interesting one, one that I often get asked in the office uh, when we start talking about nutrition or overall effect of alcohol on the body and its effect on uh, exercise and sleep, etc. What's your take on it? Alcohol, good, bad? What are your thoughts? I'm definitely a fan of alcohol, if that's what you're asking. I do imbibe. Uh, I don't over-imbibe anymore. I mean, the older I get, especially with my kids, the ages that they are, two and five, they wake up pretty much at the same time, no matter what you have going on the night before. So if I don't get to sleep, they're still up you know, at the early hours. So I have to be ready to take care of them. Um, so you know, I'm really at the point in my life where like, I kind of max out two drinks you know, on two days of the week. So I'm probably like a four or five drink per week type person. You know, obviously college, it was, you know, 10 per night, you know, it was a little <laughs> bit different. Um, so it, it trended differently like most people in their lifespan, but it is a question that we get a lot about. And uh, I think we'll dive into the different aspects. Um, I think everything in moderation is, is a benefit. There's obviously a benefit to alcohol in terms of stress, relaxation, socialization. Obviously there's a lot of problems out there with it and over abuse. Um, but we'll kind of give some of the science just ab about how it relates to optimal health and then people can make their own decisions from there. If my college age daughter is listening to this podcast, he was joking when he said 10 a night, he really meant 10 over the semester. Correct. Yeah, yeah of course. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. How does uh, alcohol affect your body? So I, the easiest way to, I think, frame this conversation is kind of going off of what we call those, those four pillars of optimal health. So, you know, if we start with sleep, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on the sleep podcast, but for those who haven't heard that, you know, as little as one drink of alcohol, unfortunately, can adversely affect your sleep. And specifically, it um, kind of forms a sedative aspect of sleep. So it can help individuals get to sleep. And a lot of people use that kind of nightcap um, mnemonic to describe them helping to relax and then get to sleep. Uh, so it can help people fall asleep, but the sleep that they get is poor. It's not naturalistic sleep. It's more of a sedative effect. So they're not falling into those deeper levels of REM, which is that restorative sleep that your body really needs. And then the sleep tends to be disrupted um, at all forms of, of night, but you tend to wake up a little bit and you're, you're not really as restful as you can be. And people notice that the day after you know drinking, sometimes they don't they didn't have a lot of drinks, so they don't really have that true hangover, but what they're feeling is just the fatigue effect of poor sleep. So as far as the sleep, that carries over into the rest of the things we do in life. You know, we, we know that the sleep has become a topic that's much talked about lately as far as if you don't get enough sleep and you're not letting your body recover, you're not performing well the next day, as you said. So the little things of the alcohol, um, just one or two 
you know, over a period of time builds up. And I'd read something somewhere where, yes, it does have that sedative effect uh, early on, but the body gets used to that. And then you end up drinking more and more. And that's when the real problem starts setting in. Yeah, And the other aspect of that is you feel crappier the next day. So you're not as restful. You're not, your cognition's not there. So then you're overutilizing caffeine. You're utilizing caffeine to kind of get through your day. Then you have a tougher time falling asleep. So then you, you may have another drink and it's kind of that vicious cycle that people get into. Any recommendations if you are going to drink alcohol? Uh, is there a time period before you go to sleep that's optimal to allow you to sleep you know, your body, I guess, to metabolize and let your liver metabolize the alcohol. Is there a time? It's, it's hard. Everyone's a little bit different, but in general, what I, what I tell most of my clients is try not to drink right up until bed, you know, try to stop an hour to two hours at least before and track it. If you're somebody who tracks using wearables, et cetera. So for me, if it's, you know, two beers or less, I'm usually okay. It does disrupt my sleep just based on the studies. Like it's, anything more than one disrupts it by like eight to 10%. So we may not be able to pick that up on maybe our wearable or we may not be able to feel that everything affects it. So to say that it doesn't affect it would be a little bit false. Um, but anything two or less, I'm generally okay. Um, except if I'm doing that like right up to bed. So usually have something when I put the kids to bed and then, you know, water for the preceding, you know, hour before bed at least. And I, I tend to be fine, but it is very individualistic. Um, more drinks equal, more sleep disruption drinks later in the night lead to more sleep disruption. Um, so that's just my general guideline. Yeah. There was a study done in 2018 that looked at overall sleep quality and the uh, quantities, uh, that people were drinking. And the study showed that low amounts of alcohol, you know, like you said, fewer than two servings a day for a man, uh, men and less than one for women decrease the sleep quality by 9.3%. Yeah. As they went up to the moderate amounts of alcohol, which they defined as two servings per day, uh, or uh, one serving uh, for women, the decreased quality was 24%. When they exceeded those two servings, uh, or the one serving for women, uh, it decreased the quality by 39.2%. So to, to support your point there of the more you drink, um, the, the, the heavier effect it's going to have. And also, you know, men versus women, we talk about body size, but also uh, water content within our body, the amount of water. Men typically have more uh, water in the body and helps dilute the alcohol a little bit more. So size and the amount of water. So when we think of, you know, overall sleep and that quality, that kind of is a good summary of, you know, how alcohol affects, you know, sleep. Let's talk a little bit. How does alcohol specifically affect the body? Uh, well, it it makes you drunk. You want me to go that route? I mean, it definitely you know it, it lowers inhibitions um, socially, which can lead to positive choices, but often leads to some negative choices. So, I mean, it could affect the body in in many different ways. Um, you know, your liver is taxed with detoxing or metabolizing, I should say that alcohol. So, you know, from the sleep standpoint, just kind of wrapping that up, it's almost like eating a big meal before before bed, your body is really active in trying to metabolize that alcohol. Um, so that's another reason why it, it affects sleep from just kind of a physiologic process. Um, from like an exercise or recovery standpoint, like if we're trying to heal and regenerate tissue, which we have to do every single day, whether we're exercising or not, there's subtle strains that are put on our body. So say we did uh, a vigorous exercise, it's more magnified. If we just kind of walked and we're generally active, 
your body still needs to repair its tissues. And it usually does that when you're asleep. Um, but specifically, you know, there's something called myofibrillar protein synthesis is basically just the small portions of the muscle have to regenerate, you know, as yeah, we go each and every day. So they have to repair and regenerate an alcohol consumed even within eight hours of, of that time frame, whether it be sleep or exercise is going to inhibit that. So it affects your body by not allowing it to uh, heal or regenerate. It has an endocrine response. So from the standpoint of, um, cortisol. So it increases the stress hormone cortisol. So a lot of people gain weight with alcohol. It's not just because the alcohol is caloric and not nutrient dense, which I guess we'll talk about here briefly. Um, and it, it also is because cortisol leads to belly fat and cortisol leads to poor sleep and cortisol inhibits other good hormones like human growth hormone from doing what it's designed to do. So that it's designed to heal and regenerate those tissues that I'm talking about. Um, and alcohol can directly affect that by causing that spike of cortisol, which will decrease your you know, human growth hormone levels by 72%. Um, and then, you know, in that early stage of sleep, by disrupting sleep, it, it disrupts a lot of the body's process. So those early stages of sleep is when you're getting a lot of that positive hormonal release that helps to repair and regenerate tissues. So by disrupting REM, you're not getting as much of that, you know, growth hormone release, which is natural and restorative for the whole body. Yeah. Those are a lot of short-term benefits. There are some long-term effects as well that we know, you know, you spoke briefly on a couple of the topics, but think of prolonged use uh, of alcohol, the heart, you know, we talk about high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, uh, and just failure of other organs, cancers, we, we talk about cancers of the mouth, throat, breast, esophagus, uh, liver, and colon. Uh, cognitive, you talked about long-term dementia uh, just with its long-term effects. Uh, mental health problems, depression, anxiety. Uh, it's usually, you know, when we look at what's going on, a lot of times we see alcohol as the, the starting point for some of these issues. Uh, and the list goes on and on uh, as far as just effects, more longer-term effects on organs, we, we think of heavy drinking and we think of just inflammation of the liver, which is um, hepatitis, but uh, progressing on to severe scarring through the liver called cirrhosis of the liver, where it's really advanced stages. Um, fertility, uh, when we talk about uh, heavy drinking uh, for men and the lower testosterone levels, uh, and for women just uh, affecting their periods, just too much alcohol. Anything else to add as far as long-term effects? Uh, kidney dysfunction. It's a diuretic, so it directly taxes your kidneys. Both have to kind of flush out some of those metabolites over and over again, but it's not giving your body the, the water necessary to kind of keep that balance between some of those kidney hormones as well. Um, dehydration chronically obviously can lead to muscle strains and injuries from a, an orthopedic standpoint. Uh, but I think you kind of covered most everything. Oh, with the heart heart disease, you know, heart rate and blood pressure are spiked with alcohol use. So we see that, you know, acutely, if you ever worked out, you know, the day after exercise, uh, after alcohol use, you just feel more fatigued. And part of that is because of that spike. But if you're doing it chronically and you're abusing alcohol and you're using it every day, your heart and your heart really never gets a chance to rest your blood pressure, your arteries, everything is kind of always taxed. So that's one of the reasons why it leads to some cardiac dysfunction as well. I see that a lot in my aura ring. When I drink, I mean, it's almost instantaneous that my heart rate elevates between five to 10 beats per minute with just one a glass of wine, uh, not so much with beer. So it, it's, it's specific to the type of drink, but looking at long-term over the, the, the nighttime period when the aura ring is tracking, uh, you know, my heart rate during sleep, 
it stays elevated for hours. Sometimes when I wake up, I'm still up five to 10 beats. So depending on how much you drink. So the effect on the heart is pretty significant for uh, some people. How about, uh, we talked a little bit about cancers and I mentioned, you know, mouth, pharynx, larynx, esophagus, uh, liver, breast cancer. (laughs) Talk to me uh, about alcohol's effect, the oxidative effects of alcohol and why it could lead to some of these cancers. Well, you kind of mentioned there, oxidative stress leads to, you know, free radicals being present in the body, free radicals causing, you know, damage to different tissues. Cancer is just a, a, whether it be one cancer or the other, it's just an over proliferation of cells. So typically happens because of some type of genetic breakdown in our DNA structure. And that tends to happen because of this free radical exposure and oxidative stress that alcohol puts on and other environmental factors and genetic factors, put on the body kind of over, over a period of time. Great. You touched briefly on body weight. This comes up a lot. So let's switch gears and talk about that topic. Uh, will alcohol make me gain weight? It does not necessarily, but it, it typically does. Um, it's empty calories. So it, it's putting empty calories in your body. So if it's not causing you to gain weight, it's certainly not doing anything for you for a nutritional standpoint. Uh, so it certainly can lead people to make poor food choices So besides alcohol not being caloric itself and depriving the body of the nutrients it needs, it also lowers inhibitions. People are up a little bit later in the night if they're drinking, they're making poor food choices and they're going to bed. And we we talked about obviously the metabolic demand that that goes along with that. Um, You know, alcohol itself is basically just carbohydrate. Ethanol is just kind of broken down and your body breaks it down as a fatty acid and typically kind of stores that as fat. It's not really used as energy because it doesn't lead to any... um, release of like glycogen, which is the body's you know form of energy for the most part. So that's kind of stored as fat. It's not really used for energy. It also causes a depletion of a couple of different minerals that help you absorb nutrients and, and you know, B12, zinc, folic acid, um, uh, what else? B1, which is thiamine. So it, it, it really hinders your nutrition. Plus you make poor food choices on top of that. Um, and then everything is adversely affected the next day, including the hormones that we talked about. So then you don't sleep as well. Then your cortisol spikes, then you're not feeling like you want to exercise so that it can kind of cause this vicious cycle Cascading. cascade of effects. Yeah. I had read somewhere, uh, that when you're drinking heavy amounts of alcohol, your body, the liver actually prioritizes metabolizing that alcohol yeah. first. So to your point of, okay, you're drinking and then you're eating, what it's doing is storing that food as fat. Um, and just the prioritization is something that I read. Had you heard something like that as well? Yeah. I mean, alcohol, although again, I'm, I'm an advocate of moderate use for sure. I don't want to sound like a purist. It, it is toxic to the body. I mean, that's why it has the effects that it has where we think sometimes it's fun is because it, it makes you drunk and it's not something that is designed to be in our body. So the body has to prioritize getting that toxin out first everything else comes secondary. So that, you know, big pizza that you had right before you went to bed is going to kind of sit there, get converted into fat and stored as fat. So it definitely can, can lead to that. And then anyone who's had a hangover knows that they kind of crave bad food afterwards, specifically like fatty foods. Um, and there's actually a neuropeptide, I think neuropeptide called galanin that is responsible for that. They've studied it in mice. They really don't know what the neuropeptide does in the body, but they know there's a direct link to it. So I did do some research on that, just wondering why people crave like know, a, a fast food afterwards. And there's actually science where they've, they've fed mice, uh, alcohol and uh, conversely, if they've, you know, fed them this gallon and are injecting this gallon and then they sought out, uh, sought out alcohol. So there's a direct link to people eating worse and then wanting a drink or drinking and then, and eating fatty foods. It's kind of interesting. 
the whole eating and drinking leads to my uh, next question for you. Uh, is it okay just for me not to eat if I'm going to, if I know I'm going to be drinking? The effects of alcohol then will be that much more uh, exacerbated and you're at risk for more toxicity. So I don't necessarily recommend that. I would recommend eating before you were going to drink, um, maybe metabolizing some of that food, having good energy sources, you know, the, and that's a whole different um, population of people that, and if you're worried about being social and drinking and, and, you know, especially that younger population and, but also not wanting to gain weight. We've seen that population, uh, both male and female, obviously trends a little bit more towards the female demographic. Like just they'll, they'll drink and they'll use their seltzers, et cetera. And they won't have anything for the whole day. Um, and that's not, that's not ideal. So I'd rather you gain weight and survive than, than not survive for, so for anyone younger listening, that's not what we're certainly recommending. It's you know, everything in moderation and definitely eat before you drink, but don't, don't try not to eat crappy food later in the night, I guess is a good way to say it. How about for individuals, uh, say diabetics or, you know, people dealing with uh, sh blood sugar levels? Um, how does alcohol affect blood, sh blood sugar levels specifically? Uh, transiently, it spikes blood sugar levels and it depends what type of alcohol. So if it, it, just pure ethanol does cause some spike in blood sugar, but not tremendously. Uh, so it doesn't cause that breakdown of, of glycogen, actually metabolizes it more like a fatty acid. So if you're drinking, say, pure tequila, it's not going to spike it as much as if you're drinking a beer, which has other carbohydrates in it, or if you're drinking something like a cocktail that has a lot of sugar in it. So it's not just the alcohol. It's, it's more the mixture of what the alcohol has in it or around it. Great. Now serving size, we, we look at the standard drink as, you know, a 12 ounce beer, eight ounces of malt liquor, five ounces of wine, uh, and then a shot or of 80 proof alcohol or 40% alcohol. So, you know, I always, you know, you go out somewhere and you have a glass of wine and you look at that glass of wine and you know, it's not a five ounce pour, it's a 10 ounce pour. So, but yet people count that as one. What do you, what kind of suggestions do you have for our listening audience as far as just, you know, keeping an eye on how much you're taking in over what time period? One would be to keep an eye on it, right? So to try and keep track of it in some form or fashion. Um, know that not all, you touched on it, not all drinks are created equal. So to say, oh, I only had one drink, but it was an 80 proof, you know, shot of vodka versus at a beer, which is, you know, 6% alcohol per volume at, you know, at, at a higher level, it's a little bit different. Um, so know what you're putting into your body, know the amount and then know the alcohol content and then know what's kind of mixed in with it from the standpoint of sugars and other things around it. So keep track of it versus don't keep track of it and be critical and always, especially from a legal standpoint, if you're driving, you know, obviously always keep track of that aspect. I think another thing I, I want to touch on is just the mixture of alcohol with medications. You know, we, we have individuals come into the office who, we, who obviously take medic medications for different reasons, whether they're cholesterol lowering, blood pressure, uh, types of medications. What's your advice to individuals? And I kind of know the answer to this, but for our listening crowd, uh, as far as alcohol mixing with uh, medications that some people may be on. Consult with your doctor. I mean, that's the biggest thing. So it is going to change in some form or fashion what that 
drug is going to do in your body. Sometimes it will render it completely useless. So say you're taking a high blood pressure medication, alcohol is increasing your blood pressure and then rendering your blood pressure medication useless. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, or sometimes it can heighten it and it can cause some other side effects that you wouldn't experience. You know, I have a friend who shall remain nameless who, um, you know, in college, anyone who goes on an antibiotic, you're not supposed to drink on an antibiotic, but in college, most people drink on an antibiotic. Uh, he had a really bad anxiety attack, a panic attack associated with that. Uh, and that really changed just the way he, he thought about alcohol and, and, you know, anything else that he puts in his body. So there are real effects that can happen. Um, definitely consult with your doctor before you do anything. Great. I feel like we're a public service announcement I know right now. Today, I think we are. Um, but, you know, that kind of leads me to the next thing. These are questions that come up often with clients and patients that come into our practice, whether it's for physical therapy, for performance training, for just nutritional counseling. Uh, and these are real life questions that come through the, come up every, every week, you know, and I think more and more as we start to get into the importance of, like you said earlier, back to the four pillars of balancing that nutrition, the sleep and the exercise. Uh, and I always find that, yeah, some people want to lose a little weight. They're not sleeping well. A common factor ends up being alcohol. And the amount of alcohol or the frequency of alcohol, if we look at guidelines that are set, you know, one to two classes a day. Yeah. But add that up over a period of, okay, I'm doing it every single day. Yeah. I'm having two glasses. Well, that's 14 a week. That's on the higher level. If you're doing one or two, a couple of days a week, you're probably fine. Uh, and the body will metabolize that. And you'll, depending on when you have it, you know, you'll, your body will adjust. It adapts. It's, uh, as per our discussion, timing, quantity, uh, other things that you're doing, whether you're eating well or, you know, poorly because of the alcohol and then how important is sleep to you. So that's kind of how I tie everything in. And it does come up, uh, every, every week for me. I don't know about for you in, in the office, but it's, it's a conversation that comes up often. What do you, as we shut this down today, what, what kind of suggestions do you have uh, for the listening audience as far as that overall balancing or any uh, nuggets to take? I'd say, you know, everything in moderation for sure. You got to consider what your goals are and how it's going to, how alcohol is going to affect your goals positively uh, or negatively. Typically based on everything we're saying, it, it would be negatively. Um, you know, if, we, we ask the question a lot because it's on almost every intake questionnaire and we're discussing it. And I feel like often in other forms of medicine, um, you know, the really good doctors will actually dive in, but I can't tell you the amount of times I've filled out the question of how many drinks per day. When I was in college, sometimes I'd be honest and no one ever questioned the guy's a young kid who's drinking, but it could have been someone who had a problem. Right. So I think it's something that because it's legal, uh, because societally we accept it as normal and then we demonize other forms of, of drugs, um, I think alcohol kind of gets a pass and it is something that certainly is serious can be abused by a lot of people and has caused more deaths and heartache than a lot of other things out there. So it's not something that I certainly think anyone should take lightly. That being said, I do imbibe an alcohol a couple of days a week. I'm not dogmatic about it, but I do obsess about just how my body's functioning. So I'm, I'm kind of maybe on one extreme set, uh, end of things, but realize kind of why you're taking it. And if it's, if it's to get by, obviously seek help. If it's, you know, to, to relax and de-stress and you're doing it in moderation, it's fine. Just know that it does affect your body uh, and track it. And if your goal is to perform better, if your goal is to uh, look better and, and feel better, you know, alcohol is probably not the best choice. Uh, and if you're going to do it, you have to do it in moderation and in a time of day where it really doesn't affect it as, as negatively as possible. 
Uh, and the only other take home I would say is do research, you know, don't just like from, since the 1980s, we've been talking about how red wine is, is heart healthy. Really? That's not true. I mean, red wine is not as bad as some other things, but the skin of the grape, which has the polyphenols may be heart healthy. The resveratrol, which is in, in wine in high doses may be healthy in studies. Right. But that, that dosage of resveratrol, it's impossible to get to. you have to drink a thousand glasses of wine to get it. Right. So it kind of stems all the way back from the eighties to like the French paradox where you found French individuals were living longer despite eating pretty fatty foods. And most of them would smoke, right. But they'd live longer and not have, uh, have heart disease. So then it's like, maybe there's something to this red wine. Everyone's drinking red wine. Uh, but the more you study it, it really hasn't happened yet. You kind of hear that time. And again, that a glass of red wine is healthy. Even the American heart association would say that it's not, unhealthy, one glass of red wine, but it's not doing really benefit. It's, it's, you know, some of the factors you can just get from fruits and vegetables and you don't necessarily have to drink wine. So, uh, we tend to seek things that make us support the opinions that we already hold. So be a little bit critical, I guess, is my take home point of, you know, am I doing the right things or am I just seeking out some studies or some facts or some opinions that support, you know, what I want to be true. To your point, alcohol is toxic to the body keep everything in moderation but you know there's foods that you can get that are going to provide this the same things you're looking for in the alcohol a lot of times all right thanks for uh thanks for joining us today everyone uh as for my host co-host mike i'm todd and this is optimal health uncovered uh have a great day don't drink and drive thanks for listening to this episode of optimal health uncovered if you have questions for us or want to hear about something specific in an upcoming episode send an email to podcast at performance-pt.com and be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more tips on optimal health. Until next time, be well.